please stand with me this morning? That'd be great. For three weeks, we have been in the book of Acts, portraits of the early church, as well as talking, interweaving some things on the Making Room Initiative. This is the fourth of four weeks. I'm in Acts 11. We are moving for the first time out of the church in Jerusalem to the church in Antioch. And I'll begin in verse 19, Acts 11, 19, this great church. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now in those days, and these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Now at this point, the narrative goes back for another episode at the church in Jerusalem before returning at the start of Acts 13 for a lot more on Antioch. I'm going to read the first three verses of Acts 13 as we come back to Antioch. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Church, this is God's holy word. Please be seated. So, our passage began in Jerusalem when Stephen was martyred. He's the first Christian martyr in Acts 8. And when he was martyred, there's a great persecution that arose in the early church, and that led to the church in Jerusalem, which is really the only church at the time, scattering all over the area. And a lot of them went up north along the coastline to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Now, a map is going to come up, and um, by the way, whenever you're studying the Bible and you come across place names, unless you know, you're very familiar with it, uh, check the map. It, it helps just put it together. So if you, you know, if you're in the back of your Bible, if you've got a hard copy or Google it or something. All right, in the bottom right, you see that's Jerusalem. Uh, north, a little bit to the west, is Phoenicia. That's essentially modern-day Lebanon. And then... Antioch, further up, that's in modern-day Turkey. At that time, Antioch was the capital of the Roman province in the area. Syria is what it was called. Antioch 
was one of the four great cities in the empire. There was Rome, there was Alexandria in Egypt, there was Ephesus, and there was Antioch. Antioch was far larger, more cosmopolitan uh, than Jerusalem. Huge city. Tarsus is to the west. That is Paul's hometown. That will come up later in the passage. Uh, Cyprus is that island 100 miles west in the Mediterranean. Later, Cyrene, we mentioned, uh, the coast of North Africa. So that's kind of where things stand. Basically, the persecution of, of Stephen and the early church, and the church began scattering. And, of course, God used that. Now, with this persecution, uh, those believers were telling others about Christ. We see that in verse 19, but notice what we read about it. And they preached the word to no one except Jews. Now, why did they do that? Well, a couple of reasons. One is they were all Jews themselves. The early church in Jerusalem, they were just Jewish. No Gentiles like just about all of us are. You know, Gentiles are the non-Jews. But all through the Old Testament... God's people were the Jews, and they didn't get it, what God said about you be a light to the nations. They just didn't get that. It just didn't um, uh, translate into their hearts. And they thought that God was only concerned about Jewish people. In fact, they thanked God daily that there weren't Gentiles and other things like that. It was just, it was really something. And the early church, surprisingly, they had the same bias. They had the same mindset that God really is concerned about the Jewish people. Until Acts 11, verse 20, this huge milestone event happened. And there we see in verse 20, But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, the Greeks, preaching the Lord Jesus. These were Gentiles. So this was huge. These Jews in Cyprus and Cyrene, when they got to Antioch, they started telling uh, even Gentiles about Jesus. And that was just so new and revolutionary. Now, I know it is hard for us not being in that culture to put ourselves in a culture that would just focus on your own people group. But there is something dark in the human soul that tends to be inward and uninviting at times. And if I could use the word ethnocentric, that is centered on your own people, your own ethnos. There's something about that in the human nature, and it was not only in ancient Israel, but it is in the church a lot today that we tend to be, once we get in, to be inward, at times uninviting, at times ethnocentric, wanting to be around people more who look like ourselves and talk like ourselves, rather than the welcoming, embracing, universal heart of God that cares about all people everywhere. And these folks began making the difference in going to the non-Jews. Now, thank God that he did because most of us are non-Jews, and that began the train that, you know, we're part of, of reaching non-Christians or non-Jews with the gospel. And this is the way the church ought to be, but so often the church is not. It is interesting, those of you who are in the business world and studied Peter Drucker, any at all, the, the great management scholar of the last century, he said this. He said, an organization begins to die the day it begins to be run for the benefit of the insiders and not for the benefit of the outsiders. Now, church, if that is true of corporations, if that is true of nonprofits, how much more is that true of the church that exists for the outsider to bring the gospel to those outside? Or the quote by Morgan Chalulu, a pastor in Zambia, who put it this way, a church that lives within its four walls is no church at all. God's heart. See, he cares 
about lost people of all kids. And so we must care. It was in Antioch where the believers were first called Christians that the gospel first went from the Jews to the Gentiles in terms of a sustainable, regular part of their life. A great church. The basic reason that we want to make more room here. Appreciate, Joe, your, your story about your family, but, but it's because God cares about people, all people, lost people. He cares about believers, people who need a church home. He cares about every single person, and so we do. That the church at Antioch somehow had to make room because twice in two verses, three verses, it says a great many people were headed by the Lord. Uh, if that church had to make room, if the church in Jerusalem had to make room, we need to make room. Uh, God put, gave us a great piece of property about 10 years ago. It was out in the woods then. It fit our name, Edge of the Woods. But uh, little did we know that Gosling was going to be widened, that there would be apartments coming up all up and down, and Kirk and all widened, that 99 Grand Parkway would be nearby. Exxon Mobil would move their world headquarters nearby. And all these people he planned to bring in, but God knew. And we need to make room for them. We need to steward every acre that he's given us for the people moving in because he cares about them, and so do we. What we are doing with making room for our children's ministry, for our Hispanic ministry, during the second service, uh, a woman stopped me on the way in and said, man, the line is particularly long today. We need to make more room. And uh, for the second service, it, it is. And the point is not about buildings. We don't care about buildings per se. We care about the people that we can reach. We don't want to allow the lack of brick and mortar to keep us from reaching one person for eternity. So, uh, they began preaching to Gentiles also. And then we come to verse 21. I think it's my favorite verse in the book of Acts. But in 1121, we read this. If I can find it. Acts 11:21. And the hand of the Lord was with them. Isn't that beautiful? And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Isn't that what we want as a church more than anything? Uh, it, it, it's God's blessing, God's favor, God's protection, God's hand. It, it means that God was at work there in that church, saving people, drawing people, changing lives. God blessed those folks. He blessed that church. He delighted in them. He poured out his presence and his power. He anointed ministries. There was no doubt supernatural power and healings and miracles there. There were people falling more and more in love with Jesus, ambushed by the grace of God, and they couldn't get over it. There was a rich community. We, we saw that with the church in Jerusalem also, that a sense of oneness, a spirit of love. The church, it was, it's not just a church full of people, but a people full of God. And that's what we want more than anything. It was as the hand of the Lord was with them. Now, all this exciting stuff was going on in this new church back there and included not only Jewish believers, but for the first time a lot of Gentile believers. And the word gets back to Jerusalem, the mothership church, you know, the mother church of all that's going on. And we read how they respond in 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now, Barnabas was introduced in Acts 4 that we saw last week. Barnabas Remember, uh, his name is really Joseph, but his nickname was Barnabas, which meant son of encouragement, encourager. I mean, Barnabas was Mr. Encourager. And when they heard the reports about the church in Antioch, way to the north, the elders, the apostles at the time, 
said, let's send Barnabas up there to check this out, see what's going on, and report back to us. So Barnabas took off. And we see in verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. That's the second time we see that phrase in three verses. God is adding people to the Lord. And no doubt, they had to make room in whatever context, whatever facilities they had, had to make room for more people. Because God cares about those people. You know, ultimately for us, we're praying for our top five. We're praying that God would save our neighbors, our friends, uh, people at work, people in our family members. And, and we're praying for these top five. Ultimately, we, we want to make room as we uh, have more space to reach those people. Because if they're newer here and it's packed and such, they probably wouldn't come back. And we don't want to allow the lack of space to deter people from a Christ-honoring church, gospel-teaching church, where they could be loved and helped grow in Christ. So Barnabas gets there, checks it all out, and at this point, he does something most unusual. He doesn't stay there indefinitely. He doesn't go back to Jerusalem, but rather he goes farther to the west into Tarsus. And we see it in verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, that's Paul, and when he had found him, he brought him to to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So isn't it something? Mr. Encourager says, you know, here's Paul. He's over in Tarsus. He had to flee because of all the persecution against him in Jerusalem. Went to his hometown where he was safe. But, but Barnabas is thinking, Paul's, God's hand is on him. He's a gifted leader. He needs to be here in Antioch and to help us. And he goes to get him. Verse 27. Now in these days... Prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. Now, in the Greek speaking world at this time, the uh, Roman Empire, if they talked about all the world, they meant uh, they were pretty kind of parochial here. They meant their world, uh, the Roman Empire. That was the world. And so he's predicting a, a famine's coming by the Spirit. And this took place in the days of Claudius, Emperor Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So do you get what's going on? They're in the large metropolitan international city of Antioch. They apparently had more resources, more money. Jerusalem was much smaller. It was over in Judea, and the famine would hit them much harder. They're going to be some big financial need. Also, the persecution probably already caused a lot lot of loss of jobs and needs. What they did is what we saw last week in Genesis 4. If you uh, fall in love with Jesus, you cannot not be generous. It's just it's going to pour out of you. They um, give together, bring the money to the leaders, and the leaders of the church in Antioch send the money to the church in Jerusalem. Now, again, we saw this last week that uh, God's mentality, God's uh, perspective is not that we're all a bunch of individuals doing our own thing, but he called us to worship together, study the Bible together. We give together. We serve together. Uh, we express our unity, bringing the, the, our gifts to the, to the leaders, and together trust that God was going to guide them to distribute the funds. They sent it to the leaders in Jerusalem 
by Barnabas and Saul. They would take it, and then they came back. All right. Now, skipping over to chapter 13, there's just a few verses about the church I want to point out. 13.1, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, there's five of them, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manny and a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, a couple of things here. Um, Barnabas, we know him, uh, big encourager. He's new there, but he's already one of their main teachers. Simeon, who was called Niger. Niger means black. He was no doubt from Africa, and he was black, and he's one of their main teachers and leaders. Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene is in northern Africa. It is uh, the, the country of Libya today. He was probably brown from a different culture than either Barnabas or Lucius. And then, fourthly, we see Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Now, this is the ruling Herod family, the descendants of King Herod. They were half Jewish, half Gentile. They were powerful. They were wealthy. So this Menean probably is from a powerful, wealthy family, could have been Jew or Gentile or both. And then fifthly, Saul, that new guy, completely Jewish, of course, and um, he's one of their leaders. The diversity. No doubt, Antioch, this large international city, the church there was a multilingual, multinational, multi-ethnic church. And that kind of diversity, reflected even in their teachers and leaders, that kind of diversity inherently glorifies God. Because when there's a bunch of different people that get together uh, to worship God, the only thing that unites us is Jesus Christ. And that's why a dream of mine, a dream of ours as a church for some time has been to have more and more diversity at Wood's Edge because it inherently glorifies God. That's the picture of heaven, which is going to be people of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. I, I get excited when I see folks from other countries. I love it that Mehran is a Muslim background believer who fled Iran, went to Turkey, came to Houston, and came to Christ and he serves as one of our ushers. I love it that Ravi, I mentioned Lebanon earlier ago, is a Druze background, which is kind of a, a sect, an offshoot of Islam. And he's from a, a, a Druze background. He came to Christ, and now he does ministry with Druze in Lebanon. I, I uh, love it. Just on the way in, I talked to a, a man who is from Cambodia. When I first met him some months back, I said, yes, somebody from Cambodia here. Uh, we probably have 50 countries represented we probably have 500, 600 folks from uh, other countries who are part of Wood's Edge. And I love it that God has given us the city, Houston, that is the largest international, the most diverse international city in America in terms of percentages, one out of four foreign-born. And when we're united in Christ, that inherently glorifies the Lord. Church at Antioch modeled that first in this way. All right, the next couple of verses. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Guys, this is the first time in the New Testament that we have missionaries sent out. Uh, Barnabas and Saul. It's going to be clear later what they're sent out to. They're sent out from their home church, Antioch, on a missionary journey. And at the end of that journey, they come back to their home church. Missions is church-centric in the New Testament. Thank God for great organizations, but, the, but missions is church-centric because all of the New Testament is church-centric. It's God's way. 
God's way is no longer the people of Israel, but it's these international diverse churches that a bunch of flawed people like us gather together for one reason, to serve Jesus. And they worship together, they serve together, they pray together, they gave together, they sent missions together. That's why we as a church, we've got our basic approach to missions around the world is sending out people from Wood's Edge uh, who are part of this church family just like they did at Antioch. And they pray for them, they support them, they get behind them. Notice that all of this came out of an atmosphere of prayer and fasting and worship. Because uh, at every hinge point of the kingdom in the book of Acts, prayer, you see, is, is right at the heart of it. God just uses people who pray. And that happened there. And they send off for the first time the first missionaries. Now, the church at Antioch and the church at Jerusalem, we've seen the last four weeks, they made room. They had to, whatever context, whatever that meant for them. And that's what we're doing here. We're making room for the people that God is sending, particularly for the children's ministry, for the Hispanic ministry, particularly this second service. Not about buildings, just about people that we want to reach. God's given us a fast-growing area, and lots of people are here. Lots of people need to be reached. We want to make room, not just in our hearts, not just in our prayers we saw week two, not just in our pocketbooks we saw in week three. We want to make room for the folks on our campus. We want to make room for the people like in this video, if you'll watch this next video, three families at Woods Edge. My name is Jessica Wilson. My name's Mark Wilson, and we've been going to Woods Edge since 1995. Hi, my name is Zach. Hi, my name's Adrian, and we've been coming to Woods Edge for six years. Hi, my name is Sean. I'm Jenny, and we've been coming to Woods Edge for just about three years. Woods Edge had about 40 people. The group of people was small, but they were um, excited about God, hungry after hearts and people and seeking the Lord. At the time, we had been married for about two or three months, and we're really looking for a community that um, fostered young married couples. Doing life with people in a similar walk of life with us that we could learn from. Woods Edge had this really neat young Marys without kids Sunday morning class that we got involved with, and some of our best friends today are friends that we met in that class. We started uh, by visiting some other churches like much closer to where we lived when we moved out. Uh, just trying to find like kind of where we belonged, um, what felt right, uh, where we felt we could hear God, where we could worship well, and where the teaching um, was specifically Bible-based. What is that song, Good Father? Mm -hmm. I remember that being the first song I ever heard coming into Woods Edge and being pregnant and, you know, finding somewhere where my kids could be. It was just like, wow, you're a good father. You provided for us. And it just, it was great. It felt home. You know, just thinking back to Woods Edge, back in, one of the things that I enjoy during that time, we would do things like picnics after church and real intimate, building real intimate relationships. Some of the small group relationships that we developed 20 years ago, we still have today. Our son was the first um, child to be in a special needs ministry. It was formed here when he was uh, about three years old. And uh, the impact that that has made on our family has been immense. Being able to go to church as a family for the first time in 10 years uh, just melted our hearts and just felt right. We've had um, real real life occur here with the friends that we've created. We've struggled with them. Um, we've had victories with them. We've had 
real deep prayer sessions, but more, just as important, we've had a lot of fun with them. Something I'm really excited about with Wood's Edge is the amount of people that God is bringing to Houston and the diversity that Houston is seeing and how many people are just being drawn to our city and especially in the Woodland Spring area. Um, and for us, being able to reach out to so many um, young married people who or newly engaged people that um, just need a place to call home and can find a place that has good community. I don't think I was actually pursuing God or a relationship with Him until I came to Wood's Edge because I've had the tools, I've had the opportunity, I've had the mentorship, and I've just been given those opportunities and that freedom to worship the way I want to worship or to learn the way that I learn best. The Bible studies, whether it's men's groups, couples groups that we go to, the financial ministry we've been involved in, um, they're like, in real ways, it's corny, but like focused on how we can grow, like what Wood's Edge can do to grow us in our marriage, as parents, um, as individual followers of Christ, to be a part of that and to see that change, see the church grow. We're looking forward to showing other people and creating a place that they can grow and serve and love Jesus, journey together, bring hope to the world. So church, there are a lot more couples and families and individuals out there and who are coming to this area who need just like that, who need to be loved, reached, uh, helped grow, as we saw in the video, and we want to make room for them. If you're a part of Wood's Edge, we need your help. We need your prayers. We need your generosity. We need you to lock arms with us in this. If God has used the ministries of Wood's Edge to touch your heart, to touch the hearts of your loved ones, your friends that you've invited, as Joe recounted earlier, if you believe in the mission, the vision of Wood's Edge, if this is your church home, would you please join with us in making room for more people? We made room for you. Together, we make room for more people that God is sending. Simply ask God, Lord, what, what would you have me to do uh, on this? And then however he leads you. We're not a church that does pressure and um, uh, guilt and things like that. Lord, what would you have? Just want to please the Lord. You know, when I'm speaking to you about these sort of things, this Making Room Initiative, I'm not trying to get you to be a generous congregation. You are already a generous congregation. Please understand, I realize that. You're a generous, generous people, and I'm so grateful to you. I also realize, those of you who are doing over and above giving, your regular giving, over the next eight months, the, the sacrifice this involves for so many people, things that you're going to go without, and, and, and know that uh, I am so grateful to you, but more importantly, that God knows that, and He uh, he takes note. Um, if you would take out the making room card that's on your chair and pull it out and open it to the front, of, I mean to the middle, uh, let me point out a couple of things. There's a place uh, for you to either put future income, uh, how much per month over the next eighth month, and then there's a place to put past resources, stored resources, gift, and that you know, could be saving stock, property, anything, however God leads you in all of this. Now, some of you uh, would prefer to give not over eight months, but over two years or something like that, then that's great. We, we'll be glad to accept that. Uh, many of you have already filled out this card and turned it in, and great. You've already done that, but others of you, you you've filled it out, brought it with you today, which, which we've asked you to do. Uh, still others of you, you've been praying about it, intended to, just haven't got around to filling out the card yet, and we're going to give you an opportunity today to do that. What we're going to do is take a few minutes of prayer, about three minutes of prayer. 
in which those of you who have already filled out the card, make that the whole time as you're praying. We're not going to be moving around the room at that point. And be praying over our top five. Be praying that God would guide us in every part of this. Be praying that God's hand would be upon us like we see in these churches at Jerusalem. Now, if you have not yet filled out your card, then I would encourage you, take that time to pray and ask the Lord, Lord God, you know, what is it that you want me to do? And if you're here with your spouse, pray with them. But we're going to take a time of prayer for the next several minutes. So, Lord God, would you please just guide each of us in our response. Lord, we only want to be led by you. Please guide us.